Hello and welcome to Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. Not just for Louisiana, but for the entire northern Gulf Coast. And now, introducing your host, Alan DeRitter. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our April 19th edition of Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. I'm Coach Alan DeRitter. I'm the head soccer coach at Dole and also director of coaching at Soccer Innovations of America. We always start off our show with a prayer. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Dear God, thank you for letting us have this show, and thanks uh, for letting us have uh, support from the soccer community and also from uh, local businesses, and pray that we'll be able to continue to get the uh, the message out there of the wonderful accomplishments of our players and coaches uh, in this wonderful sport that's the most popular sport in the world. Help us to be patient. Help me to be patient as we uh, develop shows like this to try to get these kids the recognition that they deserve. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, everybody, welcome aboard. Uh, we want to thank uh, the Olive Branch for their support for this show. Uh, they've been a full sponsor now uh, for this month. Uh, you can go to their locations on General Legal or on Barataria Boulevard. Um, it's uh, 5145 uh, General Legal in Algiers and 199. Five Barataria in Marrero, and uh, their menu is just too extensive to talk about uh, on the air. And also, they can uh, basically cook to order. Uh, and I was lucky to have them deliver. I have a company come from out of town this weekend, and we started off their visit with with a trip. Uh, we didn't have to actually go and take a trip to Olive Branch. They came to us. Uh, they have delivery and uh, and quick delivery, so you uh, food is piping hot. So again, Olive Branch Cafe, welcome as them as our sponsor. Go give them a um, go give them a try if you've never tried them before. And uh, of course, if you have tried them before, I don't need to promote them at all. Uh, they're that good. Okay, this show today is going to try to uh, get everybody in the state aware of what the uh, Louisiana Fire 05 team uh, has accomplished and is set to accomplish uh, going forward, okay? Uh, many other sports get a lot of attention. Of course, there's so many leagues at the youth level. Uh, most of the sportscasters that I know, when they hear about a youth team being successful, they kind of yawn because there's so many state champions and there's so many regional champions and there's so many national champions, they can't keep up with them all. But in soccer, we have U.S. Club and USYSA, and that's it. And usually, uh, I don't know if this was the intent, but the teams that win both of those leagues are the same teams. Um, and they just take advantage of more competitive um, um, opportunities uh, to play in e either one of these uh, uh, sanctioned, uh, nationally sanctioned leagues. Okay, we really don't have a, a a third or fourth or fifth alternative, you know, where if you're a baseball team, you can play Babe Ruth, Dizzy Dean, you know, American Legion. There's just so many different organizations you can play for. And uh, my brother-in-law uh, works with youth baseball, and and it's hard for them to, to just get organized so that the best players can play on the best teams against each other. Very difficult to do. In soccer, we have that going on, and uh, we really just need to get uh, the word out as to how special this team is. And uh, and I, my hat's off to Doug Fries as you listen to him. He's recognized that there are other teams just as good or at least good enough to be getting attention that really aren't getting attention. 
attention. And uh, uh, I appreciate the media's attention to high school. Uh, I love high school football. There's no doubt in that. Uh, but when it comes to the summertime, you know, the club, the, the end of the club seasons, we've had some pretty remarkable soccer going on uh, on these fields uh, in the last couple of weeks. Um, with our with our uh, state championships that Louisiana Soccer Association haven't put in together, and really a lot of our U.S. club um, tournaments that are that are that are happening in this region. So, anyhow, it's a pretty lengthy uh, um, interview that's worth listening to, and I want to encourage all of y'all to uh, to also promote the uh, episode uh, to the people who follow sports but don't necessarily follow soccer and let them hear the passion and Coach Freeze uh, um, and and really uh, hear what kind of great, great accomplishment these girls uh, have had, okay, accomplishments rather, and, um, and I really have a great feeling that we're going to be talking about them in July as to having had one even more. They keep getting better every year, and there's only one way to go right now with this team. Anyhow, here's Coach Freeze. At the Olive Branch Cafe, only the freshest ingredients go into everything we serve. Our dough is prepared daily, and now the West Bank's best-tasting pizza is delivered 10.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. seven days a week. The Olive Branch Cafe, Marrero and Algiers. All right, everybody, we're here with uh, Coach Doug Freeze, uh, the head coach of the uh, Unite Team um, Louisiana Fire Girls team. I guess you'll call yourselves the Red Team, correct? Yeah, the Unite Team girls and the U16 girls. Okay, both of them. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Coach. Thank you. Okay, let's get to the start. Um, uh, let's start from the start, though. A lot of people really don't know what's going on that are listening right now. Uh, what did you girls accomplish last year? And uh, and uh, and uh, and then we'll go start from there. Well, the 05 girls, who are the U16 team, uh, they, prior to COVID, had won the National Premier League title, uh, which is a U.S. club soccer national title, and qualified for and played in the USYS nationals. Uh, we were unsuccessful there, but set a goal to get back because of COVID. We did not have the opportunity to either defend the NPL title last year or to return to USYS Nationals. Uh, but at the time the season ended in March of 2020, we performed well enough to be invited to play in the National League playoffs this year. And that was a format by which four of the eight USYS uh, national championship slots were selected. Uh, we went to Orlando last month, played uh, three excellent teams, uh, one from Idaho, one from Minnesota, one from California, and were able to produce good enough results that we have now qualified for uh, USYS national championships, which will be held in Sarasota, Florida at the end of July. The following week, we clinched our regional uh, championship in uh, USYS Mid-South, and that qualifies us, one, for the Region 3 championships that are going to be held in June in South Carolina, 
and it also qualifies uh, the team to participate in National League Pro, P-R-O, and yeah, uh, that is the USYS National League platform uh, that will come into play this coming year. Okay, that's that's a lot to deal with. Um, so, so let me get this straight. So, just because of what y'all did uh, last month, y'all are going to go to nationals for uh, U.S. club soccer, or is it USYSA? USYS, yeah, national championships. Um, National Premier League, we have not yet earned a spot to play there. That's uh, going to be held in the early part of July in Denver, Colorado. Uh, we actually have a play in competition for that uh, Mother's Day weekend. And uh, if we are successful in you know, winning that regional championship, we would have the opportunity to return to Denver um, and defend the NPL title. Yeah, and so that's still up in the air, but the month of March was very good for the O5s because uh, they played exceptionally well all throughout the month. Yeah, um, yeah, a number of them had really successful high school seasons that helped yeah, uh, bring us into the return to club season in really good form. And yeah, in fact, uh, you know, Jane Schneider, the girl who scored the game winner for Mount Carmel and the Division One championships off of an assist by Chloe Burst, yeah, um, you know, got uh, a game winner in you know, our final game of uh, the USYS playoffs uh, through an assist by Chloe Burst. And yeah, uh, it was a really, really great month for the team. And they've basically charted their course all the way through the summer and into next year uh, by the end of March, when a lot of teams are still out there scrapping for those opportunities. They've already taken care of business. That, that's that's amazing. And they're so young. Uh, how are they dealing with this pressure? There is no pressure for them. They have been able to play on the biggest stages out there. And uh, each time they have advanced to a higher level of competition. The first time they played in regionals, we went there and we got smoked. The first time we played in NPL finals, we went there and we got smoked. Yeah, the second time back at regionals, they qualified for the national championships in USYS. The second time at NPL finals, they won the whole thing. Uh, we're hoping that we can repeat that level of success at the second opportunity at USYS Nationals this summer. Uh, we know that's an awfully big ask because the level of competition is so strong. Yeah, um, same thing with NPL. Yeah, if we get back to NPL uh, finals, there's absolutely no guarantee that we can repeat that same level of success, but they have been there, they've done it successfully, and they believe that they can. And you know as well as I that you know, the single biggest obstacle to success in anything is uh, feeling like you can't do it. Believing you can do it is an essential component of success. And this is a team that believes that it can do it. Well, they have they have enough experience, that's for sure. How many of these girls uh, played against each other in, this, in the D1 state final? <sighs> On this particular team, yeah, um, I want to say it's either seven or eight. 
I, I actually don't have a head count for you, but I'll, yeah, um, yeah, but it's uh, it's either seven or eight, and yeah, um, yeah, their team had a lot of players who went deep into the uh, state high school playoffs, and yeah, um, and all of them were players who contributed to their high school teams. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, that state final game was amazing, and and now I understand uh, why it was so amazing uh, to have the, these players of that kind of caliber, you know? Are they starting to feel pressure about college at all? Well, you know, it's it's a strange time. Yet, uh, NCAA has just announced that uh, recruiting will return to normal beginning June 1. Yeah, Uh yeah, you know, the recruiting cycle for you know not just this 05 age group, but you know, the O4s, the O3s, the O2s. You know, it's been difficult because uh, you know no one is able to come out and watch it. Uh, coaches who would ordinarily come out and watch training sessions, um, yeah, you know, all yeah, you know, uh, all around this state and other states, they can't go out and watch training sessions, which I think is a critically yeah, important opportunity for players to make an impression because it's not just what you do in a game, it's what kind of player you're going to be in the locker room that makes an impression on a lot of coaches. And they want the chance to see these kids, yeah, you know, in every setting that they possibly can, particularly once they become interested in a, in a player. And when it's down to player A versus player B, yeah, um, you know, what they can see you do on the training pitch matters. Yeah. Um, yeah, they haven't been able to go to ID camps yet. Um, and a challenge for the O5s, given their extremely high level of success, is going to be going out and finding opportunities to get to the ID camps that matter most to them, yeah, in and around their heavy club schedule. Yeah, and yeah, uh, that's something we're going to have to find a way as a group to work around because. Yeah, um, the team success is wonderful. Um, yeah, the individual success is wonderful. Yeah, um, but the goal isn't just to win games and win tournaments and win titles now. It's for these girls to have the opportunity to you know, um, see their effort and their talent rewarded with opportunities beyond high school. And I can tell you 17 out of 17 girls on this roster can play in college if they choose to. Yeah, every single one of them is good enough. Uh, it's a very special group. Yeah, I was really astounded when I coached the girls' all-star game uh, right before that Division One uh, final. Uh, how, I was just surprised how many girls were not going to even attempt to play at the next level, even at the D2 or D3 level. And uh, why do you think that that happens when your team is totally focused and uh, and ready to go to the next level? Well, I think part of it has to do with how coaches go about recruiting. Yeah. And yeah, uh, it, it, if this was an ECNL club that we belong to, if there was an ECNL club or a girls academy club here in Louisiana, uh, you would see you know, um, players with college ambition flocking to play in those environments. And not that the teams are better. If I can tell you right now, you can drop the O5s into a GA league. You can drop the O5s into ECNL, and they will do very well. But, yeah, uh, 
the college coaches recruit where it's easiest for them to recruit and where they're going to get consistent recruits year in, year out in every age group. And you know, that you know, prompts most of them to focus their attention you know, on you know, uh, ECNL and GA. And, you know, and that makes it harder for players in you know, a smaller state like Louisiana yeah, uh, yeah, to get those opportunities. And honestly, there are a lot of college coaches who are missing the boat. They're missing the boat. Yeah, if they were willing to do you know, a, a bit more digging and do some grassroots recruiting, not just here in this state, but in other areas that are not serviced yeah, um, you know, by the academies and by ECNL, uh, yeah, they would be able to scoop up some gems. Yeah, but... Yeah, uh, their recruiting budgets yeah, in soccer are not substantial, and yeah, um, yeah, you don't see enough coaches yeah um, looking yeah uh, for players in places that you don't always find them. And yeah, I think that when you look at yeah my team yeah uh, the O5s, if you look at the O2 Cavity Tigers. If you look at my O2 team, there were a lot of really good players in the on those O2 teams. And there are a lot of really good players on this O5 team. Yeah. Um, but not a lot of them were heavily recruited. And that's not because of a lack of interest on the part of the players. Yeah. Of the 17 players on the O5 roster, I'm pretty sure 15 of them want to play in college. There are two right now who I would think, you know, for personal reasons are probably not going to want to play in college, even though they're good enough to do so. Yeah. Um, but to me, it is a serious problem when you have players who are talented enough to play and not just one or two on a team, the entire team is good enough and you don't have them getting the sort of attention that you, know, you would expect. And yeah, and I think that is uh, something that I think the coaches who need to be successful in order to keep their jobs at the college level ought to look long and hard at. Yeah, um, yeah, because I have trouble believing that any program. Yeah, um, it doesn't matter your level of play, Division One, Division Two, Three, NAIA. Yeah, um, there will be somebody on the O fives roster. Yeah. Um, who should absolutely be at the top of your recruiting list. And I think that you could have said the same thing about the O2 Tammany Tigers. I think you could have said the same thing about the O2 Fire Girls. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, some of the uh, girls who play for FC Tammany and some of the girls who play for Fire will be playing on in college. Uh, I think you saw a fair number of them at, uh, at the All-Star game. And yeah, uh, and the ones you didn't see were the ones playing in state championships. Yeah, they were playing, correct. Yeah, so yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, the uh, to me, it is a real significant issue that kids have to work that hard to get noticed. Because if you were playing in Dallas for Solar on their top team, you'd already have a handful of coaches lined up for you. 
And that doesn't necessarily mean, and that's players one through 18 on that roster. And you know, that doesn't mean that all 18 of those players are better than any of the players in the entire state of Louisiana. It just means that they have a platform to be seen. And one of the big pluses of having a team that's been as successful as the O5s is they at least put themselves into situations where there's a spotlight on them. And it's hard to ignore them when they're on the field playing against the best teams in the country and doing it successfully. Okay, everybody, we're going to break this segment up, and uh, we got to pay some bills. Uh, but when we come back, we're going to hear uh, the end of what Doug Freeze has to say. Uh, Coach Freeze has some really interesting comments about youth soccer, which I really hope that all of you pay attention to and take note of. Uh, this is Coach Alan DeRitter. We'll see you after the break. Okay, everybody, uh, now we'll continue our interview with Coach Doug Freeze. Uh, but it sure seems to be easy for our local press uh, to ignore them. How's, how's the girls handling that kind of frustration? Basically, it's the situation that has existed their entire playing careers. So it's just par for the course. Yeah, uh, it is uh, frustrating for me as a coach to see that you can have a team that's this exceptional and gets almost no attention. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, you look at teams in other sports. Yeah. Um, and they get attention when they have success of a similar, but not greater nature. Yeah. Um, and that's not to detract from the quality of what those you know, teams and those other sports have, have achieved. It's significant. It deserves attention, but it's no more deserving of attention than what these girls have done. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, again, yeah, uh, yeah, I look at you know, some of the very successful teams that we've had over the years yeah, uh, in the soccer community. Yeah, the 92 fire boys, the 97 fire girls. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I will throw FC Tammany's O2s in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and the O5 girls. And yeah, uh, nary a whisper about them outside of the soccer community. And even within the soccer community, there isn't much uh, made of it because. Uh, we're not really good at promoting ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. As a community. Yeah. Even amongst ourselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, I'm reasonably certain that you're uh, the first person who sought out any form of an interview uh, with anyone associated with this team, uh, other than the folks at USYS uh, who, you know, we're conducting interviews throughout the National League playoffs. Yeah, so other than what's posted on USYS's own website, which really hasn't drawn much buzz. Yeah, um, and I don't know if that's true for all the clubs out there, yeah, throughout the country that have had, that had success in that uh, format and uh, have already qualified to play nationals, but that's certainly true here. 
Yeah, I think that that's the purpose of this show, honestly. I mean, I'm no uh, um, journalist at, at the level that you see with uh, Jim Henderson and stuff like that, but I just keep seeing them ignore all the great things that we've accomplished uh, in this sport in the last 25 years. And we have to have a voice somewhere. And uh, and not just me reporting two or three quotes that you just gave me. It's nice that you're able to give us this full interview that I very, very much appreciate and, uh, and give you a chance to just... Uh, Talk, toot your horn about these girls and how magnificent this accomplishment is. It gets frustrating, I think, for me when I see youth teams of other sports, you know, even riding in parades uh, and they haven't accomplished half as much as this team has. And I don't want to get jealous. Like you said, they deserve the recognition they deserve, you know. I'm going to try to make a push this year to make sure that uh, – that not just the soccer people who are listening to this show find out, but I'm going to push this uh, audio to the major media outlets and see if we can really just undo this horrible tendency to just totally ignore um, kids who play at the national level, especially since we only have two um, really sanctions that that uh, you can play in. It's not like in baseball or other sports where you have so many, you, it's dizzying to keep up with them all. How many, you know, state championships there are and how many national champions there are. In this in this level, uh, really, uh, the top teams are the top teams and, and uh, um, like your team is one of them. Everybody knows that if they're going to go to Region 3 that your team's going to be there and you're the team to beat. And, and uh, that should be something that we should be uh, celebrating at the state level. And, I sure hope that this year is the year that these girls get the, uh, the uh, credit that they're due, you know? Well, and and part of it has to do with, you know, uh, the popularity of the sport as a whole. Yeah, um, soccer's popularity, as you said, in the last 25 years has grown remarkably. The footprint is much larger. Yeah, there's a level of attention that's provided to it nationally that simply didn't exist even five years ago. And that has something to do with it. You know, you're referring to parades and other sports. And I think you're probably referring to um, uh, teams that win the Little League World Series. And yeah, and at the same time that these girls were busy winning a national title, um, another team from our area won the Little League World Series. And part of the reason that was so celebrated is because baseball has been part of the fabric of our lives for generations. And, you know, the Little League World Series has been a competition that has been able to promote itself successfully for many, many years. It's a brand. And, you know, and everyone recognizes that success in that competition has a significant meaning. And, you know, and again, those kids are very worthy of you know, uh, the praise that was accorded them. Um, does it mean that that's a more significant accomplishment than, you know, what uh, you know, players who win titles in soccer achieve? Yeah, I don't know that it is, but it is certainly perceived to be so. And I think that has, I don't think it has to do with the fact that they're girls. And I don't think it has to do with the fact that we're from Louisiana. I think that has everything to do with the national perception of these sports. Yeah, uh, because I can tell you if we were, yeah, um, based in London or if, you know, we were based in Paris, yeah, uh, you know, or Spain, 
than you were in Spain, um, you know, uh, they would be celebrated, even though I think in the United States, um, U.S. soccer has, you know, uh, has done a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not talking about one entity versus another. Yeah. But, you know, soccer in the U.S. Has, has promoted women in a way that no one else in the country was doing until about 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a much more significant accomplishment for the U.S. women to win a World Cup or win an Olympics now than it was 20 years ago because there really weren't a lot of competitors out there. Now everyone is is recognizing that women's soccer matters yet throughout the world. And yet the U.S. women's teams are as good or better than they ever were. Yeah. Um, but now the level of competition they face is just consistently very strong. And yet, um, yet, and that was something that didn't happen years ago. Uh, but again, you transport any of these successful girls clubs teams to another part of the world and they would receive a lot more credit than they do here in the U.S. because we're just one of many sports and we are not yeah, as established here as, yeah, um, as the sport is in any other place in the world. So you don't really fault USYSA for not branding the national championships as well as Little League brands theirs then? No, there's not, there, there's no way for them to successfully do that today. Yeah, um, I think that, yeah, it is slow progress in this country, um, but it is progress and it is progress every single year. Yeah, um, I remember when, yeah, uh, the Premier League first came to NBC and basically media outlets like ESPN were forced to cover soccer. And you could hear the announcers mocking. It. They didn't know how to pronounce anyone's names. They didn't understand the rules of the game in any way, shape or form. They were clearly bored to have to do the you know, do the uh, highlights and would make fun of it as it went along. I found it insulting to watch. Yeah. Um, and and now, yeah, um, people get it. It may not be the most popular sport. Yeah. It is still growing in popularity throughout the country, but it is respected and understood in a way that it wasn't in years past. Yeah. Um, look, the NHL is only ever going to be popular in certain portions of the United States. Yeah. And it is only going to be followed by a discrete percentage of the population. Now, the people who follow it and you know, to whom it matters, it matters a lot. And it's their favorite sport and it's what they follow. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's not going to be a sport that grows in popularity the way that soccer will. You know, soccer in this country is going to be as important and as big as any of the current major sports. Yeah, you know, um, it's you know, it, year by year. Yeah, you know, um, it is becoming more a part of the fabric of our of our culture, and more and more children play it. Yeah. Um, yeah, 20 years ago, every five and six year old who was out there 
they're quote unquote being coached by some mother or father who had never played soccer before and didn't really know what they were doing. They were just being nice folks trying to help out. Now you see kids who are um, you know, five and six years old and a percentage of them can say, yeah, the, the guy who was coaching my kid, he played in college or she played in college. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you have people who actually have an understanding of the game working with the youngest players and our club structures are you know, on an increasing basis set up to try to make sure that we're not missing the window of opportunity to teach our youngest players how to play soccer correctly. Yeah. And look, if I ran a soccer club, every bit of my focus would be on the kids between five and eight years old. Amen. Those are the the single most important time period that there is. Yeah. Um, And instead of putting your best coaches with the older teams, yeah, uh, yeah. I would make sure that the best coaches are coaching our youngest teams, if not in lieu of, at least in addition to. Yeah, um, and yeah, uh, but go out and find a soccer club in the country that does that. Well, I'd argue that I, well, my club can't be compared to any of the major clubs here with soccer innovations. But that's all, that's always been my focus uh, since I got my national license because I, I, that's what I, one of the first things I learned that uh, in Europe the best coaches are coaching at that level. And uh, and like you said, it, it, maybe in addition to, and that's kind of what I'm doing. Uh, but definitely, I make sure that uh, I have my whistle strapped up when, whenever those kind of kids show up on the field. And let me tell you, coaching a five, six, seven-year-old practice is exhausting if you do it for real instead of just scrimmage kids. And I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted that more coaches don't speak like you just spoke. I mean, that's like music to my ears to hear you say what you just said because I don't see it happening. And uh, why do you think that's so? Because... I mean, I have my own opinion. Yeah. It's... I think the view, first of all, there are a relatively limited number of highly competent coaches still. Yeah. And, yeah, we need more. The number is growing, but we still need more. Yeah. Um, And the emphasis is for those coaches to coach teams that are quote unquote competitive. Yeah. Um, to, To me, though, the players who I see who come to me who are the best players are players who have had somebody teaching them fundamental skills from a very young age. And our kids should not be dependent upon, you know, having some relative who happens to know the game and is willing to spend time working with young kids or to have a family that is well healed enough that they can afford to hire. I think that, yeah. Um, and uh, I, I, we kind of missed you, but uh, the last sentence that you said, but I'm pretty sure was, you know, it shouldn't be just the privileged and uh, it should be really anybody who's that age group should be getting the attention that they deserve. I, I, I uh, recently, uh, coach, my grandson's uh, practice uh, hours away from here. I don't want to even let people have a chance to guess where it was, but I was appalled that he was seven years old and the group of players he's in has already been tagged as the also-rans 
and just pushed to the side with parent coaches, whereas the elite seven-year-olds have already been put together in academy teams. And I just saw after a couple of workouts with them that they improved drastically. The parents could even see it. And all they needed was some quote, some coaching. You know, uh, how in the world do you pigeonhole a seven-year-old uh, at their stage of life? It just blew my mind that we can do something like that without even blinking, blinking you know? Alan, I will tell you one of the most edifying experiences I had ever as a coach came immediately following Katrina. My family was in Texas. I'm not going to name the club because the club was spectacular to all the families from New Orleans that needed a place to play. Absolutely spectacular. They reopened their tryouts. Yeah, um, Kids were bumped off of first teams and second teams in favor of kids from New Orleans who were only going to be there a period of months because they thought that was the fair thing to do. You know, this club was fantastic. My youngest child, who was six, they didn't have a team for her. And, you know, they're just, you know, they were full up. And I went to their office and talked to them. And they said, well, we've got these five kids, but we don't have a coach for them. I said, well, I'll coach them. Um, and we went out and the first weekend we were the misfit toys. They were the kids no one wanted. Yeah. Um, and yet yeah, it was, uh, yeah, shall we say it was a rough day at the office, even for six year olds. Uh, but I will tell you, I trained them like they were older. I trained them as if they were super talented. I basically, train them to be the sort of players that I thought they wanted to be as they got older. And within a week or so, they improved. By the end of the year, they were the best team out there. And everyone wanted to know how. Yeah. And it was simple. Um, yeah. I trained them correctly. Yeah. Uh, and, and they learned how to play fast. Kids that age learn things fast. And yeah, um, yeah, those were the kids who, yeah, um, in the average setup, wind up, you know, being the ones who just go out and, you know, get run around in circles by everybody else. I don't like say winning and losing at that age because winning and losing doesn't matter. Yeah, um, yeah, but being able to go out and compete and, yeah, know that you belong on the same soccer field as the kids wearing the other jerseys matters. Yeah. Um, not the final score, but knowing that you belong out there with them, that matters. And yeah, um, all it took was an appropriate level of training. I'd never coached kids that young before. Never, not even close. I had no idea how to do it. Yeah. Um, I made some educated guesses. Um, and when I train, I train them as if they were seven, seven years older, which is what I do with all my teams. I treat all of my teams as if they're two or three years older than they actually are. And I treat them like they're top teams, whether they are a top team or not. Because if you're not ambitious for them, you're setting a ceiling. I don't believe in ceilings. No, no, definitely not. Well, Coach, I appreciate your time, and um, I'm hoping that all the success that y'all are having right now is going to give you a brighter platform. Um, 
because I've basically been saying a lot of these same things for years. And uh, and I don't know about you, but I'm getting older, and uh, <laughs> and it's starting to starting to you know see that I'm gonna have to pass the baton on. But uh, uh, to me, this the 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 formula for being the top notch. Um, uh, country that we can be is exactly our conversation right now. So right now, just go enjoy the moment. You got a couple of months of a lot of fun you're about to experience. Uh, I, I hope you do enjoy every second of it. And we're going to try over here to give you the attention uh, that your kids deserve, not because of selfish reasons, whatnot, but that the sport needs to be celebrated, you know, and you're going to give us an avenue in order to push that uh, uh, narrative. So I appreciate that and all the work that you've done. Well, and, and I, and I, and I appreciate that because, again, this is a special group. Yeah, um, they've got talent. If you don't have talent, yeah, the effort, yeah, um, only takes you so far. But yeah, but in addition to the talent, their work ethic is extraordinary. They are personally ambitious, and I've spent the last four years being ambitious for them. I expect every single year for them to be something special. And each succeeding year, I expect them to be better than they were the year before. And they've done that consistently and has very little, almost nothing to do with me. Yeah, the, the best thing I do for those girls is I'm ambitious for them. Yeah, that's the single best thing I've done for them in the years that I've coached them. Yeah, um, their talent and their effort is what gets them there. And that is something that every kid who plays the game yeah, can benefit from. Yeah. Take your talent, but be ambitious for yourself and work hard. And this team is the poster child for that attitude. And yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, kids, young kids wanting to become special players and wanting to be part of special teams can learn things watching this group. Amen. Well, coach, uh, we'll keep our eye on you and we might have to call you a couple of times just to uh, toot your horn as to uh, how things are going, especially after regionals. Okay. And I hope we'll have good news. Uh, hopefully there'll be something to toot our horns about. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And uh, I wish you all the best. Okay, everybody. And that was Doug Freeze, uh, um, one of the um, um, steady coaches with Louisiana Fire for the last couple of decades. And and uh, they're about to have a, a really, really remarkable April, May, June, and July. And uh, we need to keep our eye on them, and we will keep their eye, our eye on them. And, uh, and really, y'all need to help us promote them. Uh, forward this uh, podcast to your media outlets and I'll let them know that it's not just about New Orleans in this regard. This is about Louisiana. You know, uh, we, uh, everybody in Louisiana should have been rooting for our Little League uh, team that represented our state, even though they were all from Harahan. And I think everybody from Louisiana should be representing this team, whether they were from Lake Charles or Shreveport. Um, and I would, I would guarantee all of you people in Shreveport, I would be touting your team just as highly uh, if you were going to the regionals or, or representing us in nationals. So uh, we all need to uh, just put our um, our competitive nature where we're always beating up each other up in the soccer world. Uh, and we need to shake hands and and, uh, and elevate each other. Uh, if we're ever going to get the sport where, uh, where Doug basically believes it, it can get 
you know, uh, I, I've been looking at it for a long time. Um, I've been at it since 1986. And yeah, we've come a long way. Uh, yeah, I can pick up my remote now and, and catch about 10 or 15 quality games for free when I used to have to pay $20 to watch a game that was half decent. Uh, so, you know, we've come come some some distance. I liked really what he said, though, about when soccer was starting to be covered, how how really I would watch ESPN or in the other sports networks. I want to just call out ESPN, uh, really all of the sports networks. They, they would just make fun of the shutouts or make fun of, you know, one nothing games. And and it was hard to watch. It was very anger provoking. And uh, and now they see the, the beauty of that. You know, if you have a Real Madrid in Barcelona and it goes zero zero, you just watch to work of art, you know, uh, and nothing short because those players are some of the best in the world, you know. And uh, to keep each other from scoring is a remarkable defensive accomplishment, you know, and defense is beautiful. Um, it might not sell tickets. I know that in all the sports. But uh, if you're a really big soccer person, it's a big, big, big deal. Okay, yeah, I coached the first high school team to to post five shutouts um, going to a state championship, and now I can't tell you how many teams have done that. Uh, I think that's one of the keys to success. Uh, but, yeah, that's another topic for another day. I know we've been on the air for almost an hour. Look, I thank all of you for listening. And uh, and and really just get in touch with me at MNFUTBOL on Twitter or on Facebook or I'm A. DeRitter on LA Prep Soccer. Uh, you can uh, uh, email me at DeRitter4 at gmail.com. Uh, any of these avenues, if you think your team deserves some recognition and they're not getting it, uh, I'm at your service, okay? God bless you and your family. I uh, hope y'all stay dry this week. Uh, and uh, let's continue to play this game we love. Uh, Carpe diem in Christ. And hopefully we'll see you next week on Monday Night Football. I'm Coach Alan Dritter wishing y'all the best.